As you sit down, you can take out your Bibles and we'll finish up today the 11th chapter of John's Gospel. And as you turn to John chapter 11, and as you take a look at these final verses, if I had picked a set of verses to use for communion, um, this would be one of those that we could have turned to and said that would be a great communion study. And so we will be turning our attention uh, towards the latter part of this study to the communion table. And as we do that, I would again remind you that because we do that corporately here, uh, there is an opportunity for all of you to participate uh, in the communion service, but it is only for those who know the Lord personally, who love the Lord supremely. And so we would simply ask that if you're not someone who can truthfully say that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you have accepted his sacrifice for them, you have believed on his name and thereby become personally a child of God, that you have a couple of things you can do when we get to communion at the end of the service. You can believe right now and receive. You can accept the grace gift for your life. Christ died for you. He loves you. He offered his life in your place so that you might have eternal life. The simple gospel message to invite Christ into your life, to receive him right now, today, and believe so that you can be a child of God, be saved, and then feel free to participate in communion. Or if you can honestly say that, no, I don't know that that's where I'm at right now, then simply allow the elements to pass you by. Please do not participate in communion if you're not a believer because it's an offense to God. Jesus paid his life so that we could have eternal life and we will celebrate that towards the end of our service this day. We're going to finish up here and we'll pick up in verse 40. In this final uh, section, the third part of the study that I've entitled Our Final Foe, where Jesus now defeats death. And we have before us this incredible picture of Lazarus who has been dead for four days. He's been in the tomb. His two sisters, Mary and Martha, Martha who is speaking to Jesus at this time, Jesus is about to do what obviously they are not prepared to say that they know he can do. There's a little bit of unbelief mixed with their belief. And that's kind of a picture of all of us. There are times when I can believe God for big things. And there are times when I am not quite so free in believing in that faith place that each of us should have. While many of us here today, most have committed our lives to Christ. Sometimes when it gets down to faith, oh, we have faith to believe that he flung the stars into space, but we're not quite sure that he can fix our marriage. Or maybe you're here today and you believe that he actually is creator God, redeemer of all of mankind, but you're not sure he can take care of that job that you desperately need. You see, we often have a little bit of unbelief mixed in with our belief. That is the ladies as we pick up the story in verse 40 of John chapter 11. And Jesus said to her, that would be Martha, you can see that in verse 24. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? You see up to this point, oh, she's seen the promises of God. She's seen the compassion of God, even the tenderness of God. The love and care of God, Jesus has come. But she's going to see something, they're going to see something, the whole crowd is going to see something 
uh, that is miraculous. Truly the glorious work of the Lord. And verse 41 goes on now to say, and then they took the stone away. Now you can imagine the thought process of these two sisters. Lazarus died. And kind of some people I think almost have the view of the princess bride. There's dead and there's mostly dead. There's actually some people who are kind of sort of dead, but maybe they're not really dead. In this case, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's so dead that we've already learned that he stinks. Tombs back then, just as we'll see in the life of Jesus, because Jesus had said of him, will be laid in a tomb that has not yet been used. Tombs were reused during those days and time. And in fact, the tomb that Lazarus is now in is basically somewhere for the body to undergo the natural processes of decay. He is undergoing what we would call rot. He is not in good shape. And now Jesus is suggesting that they move the stone away from the door. Think of what the ladies are. You're not going to do this. Seriously? You want to move the stone. There is definitely a place that they are going to see the glory of God and it's about to happen to them. Remove the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And again, notice that they use the word dead and died. They're not, he's not kind of sort of sleeping. He's not in a coma. He is dead. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father... I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, because of Mary and Martha, the crowd of mourners, those who are gathered around, those that are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. There is a reason that Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You can imagine the anticipation. You can imagine what the ladies are thinking. They're not quite sure what's going to happen. And I love the Puritan author, John Bunyan's take on this particular passage. He so believed, we so believe that Jesus is not only able to raise the dead, he says it's a good thing that he named Lazarus by name, otherwise he would have emptied the whole cemetery. <laughs> like, Lazarus, come forth. The rest of you stay put for a while. Lazarus, get out of there. Come out. And the rest of this scene is just, it's almost spectacular. Because these sisters had seen their brother's dead body. They had seen the life gone from him. They had seen him pale and ashen. They they had witnessed his eyes lifeless. They had undoubtedly helped wrap him in the clothes that he's now trapped in. They had laid between those layers of cloth those bandages spices, myrrh, and aloe, attempting to keep decay at bay for a little while longer. 
And so it is from there that he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes with a face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. In other words, he says to the sisters, what are you waiting for? Let the guy go. You can imagine Lazarus sitting there trying to talk. He's like, it's me. It's happened. Mary, Martha, it's your brother. Loose him. Let him go. You know, for you and I, this is a picture of exactly what happens to us when we meet Jesus, isn't it? You see, your Bible is very clear there in Ephesians 2 that we were once actually dead in our trespasses and sins, but he has made us alive. We were walking dead people, but he has made us alive. In essence, just like Lazarus, we were once mummies and now we've become majesty. The king's glory resting upon us, working through us. And then many of the Jews, verse 45 says, who had come to Mary and seen the things that Jesus did, believed in him, you think? Many of them that saw Lazarus knew that he absolutely was dead, but he is absolutely alive, saw what Jesus had done. And exactly as Jesus purposed to do, they did, they believed. This was a literal miracle. And God was more than up to the task. But some of them, and this shows you how far we can go as humankind, To see every evidence that Jesus is who he says he is and yet not believe. Notice what is said next. But some of them, you could interject there, seeing Lazarus, seeing the faces of Mary, looking at the tomb with Lazarus coming out bound hand and feet, seeing that, went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. In other words, they did not believe, even though they saw someone raised from the dead. Which, by the way, is the very same thing that we find in Luke chapter 16. We'll send somebody over here. And finally, if even... Moses himself would come speak to you, you still wouldn't believe. You see, some people's hearts, it's not an issue of evidence, it's an issue of believing by faith. The evidence is there, it's clear. And in this room, there's a whole lot of evidence that Jesus raises the dead. That we who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, he has made alive. We'll get to that in a moment. And then the chief priests, the Pharisees, gathered a council, gathered the Sanhedrin together, the 70 plus the two, and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. 
they get it. They see it. They understand it. It's like, there's no way we can leave this alone. And in fact, Lazarus is going to be proof positive, case in point, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now imagine that Jesus and Lazarus are kind of traveling around Jerusalem together. Aren't you the formerly dead guy? Uh Uh-huh. Yes, I was very dead. Ask my sisters. Then the Romans will come and take both away our place and our nation. You see, they were worried about power. They were not worried about truth. They were worried about prestige. Actually, they were worried about their jobs. The chief priest, the high priest, did very well in that culture. And they would lose their position. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he's the son of God and he's offering the gift of life to anyone who will believe, they're in trouble. And one of them, Caiaphas, and we'll see him throughout the story of Jesus' crucifixion, being the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you consider this expedient that for us one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. You see, here's an unbelieving Caiaphas who's actually speaking the truth of the word of the Lord because he's actually speaking exactly what the scriptures say there in the book of Isaiah in chapter 52 and 53. The messianic picture of what they understood at the time about the coming of the Messiah. That the chastisement for our peace would be upon him. That his stripes would mean healing for us. That he would redeem us to the uttermost. That he would join all nations together in one. You see, this is exactly what they were expecting Messiah to do. Jesus does it and said, we don't want him. We can't let him say these things because he's doing the very thing that scripture says will mark the coming one. The Messiah. And now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one children of God, those who were scattered abroad. And so now we who are alive in him are part of this gigantic family that includes Jews and Gentiles, every tribe, tongue, and nation, Every people group from around the globe, men, women, there are no uniquenesses in that sense. If you're in Christ, you're part of God's family. The Jewish people had an understanding that they were God's chosen people. They were different. And now Caiaphas actually says, hey, he's going to join us all together, which is exactly what the book of Acts records. The day of Pentecost comes and there now is one family, both Jew and Gentile. And just for kicks, God sends the apostle Paul, a Pharisee, to the Gentiles to spread the good news of the gospel. And then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. You see, Jesus was now a radical threat to the way things were. And therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, about 15 miles north of Jerusalem as as the Temple Mount lies to this day. And there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near. 
And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That it will not come to the feast? And now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given the command that if anyone knew where he was, that he should report it, that they might seize him. And so this incredible picture, you can almost see Mary and Martha like huddled together, their, their faces buried in each other's hair. It's like, no, don't open the tomb. And Lazarus, is that you? Mm-hmm. It's me. Can you get me out of these grave clothes? You see, this is a perfect picture of what has happened to you and I. The miracle of of that final foe of death. You see, that's why Jesus has already said, even though you will die, you will live. Even though you're going to take your last breath one day, it won't be the end of your existence. Because he who believes in him, though he does die, she does die, though we take our last breath. I know where I'm waking up. And that's the face of my Savior. That's what I'm going to see next. You see, Jesus is giving us a, a, a picture, if you will, of even our own salvation experience, just like Lazarus. Lazarus had an old life. That old life died. That old life was buried. It's actually a picture of baptism, isn't it? And then he's raised up in new life. And so here comes Lazarus out of this tomb, just like you and I have been raised to new life in Christ. And the beautiful part of that is that you used to have an old life. Amen? Before you met Jesus, you had an old life. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, and he actually talks about this process. He said, we're to put off the old man with all of its deeds, all that flesh, and put on the new man. Now that's happened to Lazarus. He was an old guy who died. He's now been raised to life. I was an old guy who died, and now I've been raised to life. Pastor Rob and I were, we were at the Dodger game last night, which we lost, I can't believe it. But as, as we're sitting there watching this parade of people from our section, as people are going up and down the stairs, and we're, we're looking at how many of them are carrying like four beers each, and they're like cradling them like they, they've lost a child or something, and we're going, oh, praise God, that used to be our old life. That's who I used to be. But that's not me anymore. And so I'm trying to watch the game and God interrupts my game and says, Jeff, why don't you pray for them? I'm like, Lord, I'm watching the ball game right now. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, Lord. And here we are. We are like ruining so many people's parties in our section. Because we're all like, thank you, Jesus. They're all like, Oh, and you watch them, they take their beers and they put them underneath their seat. (laughs) We killed the beer sale in section 35. (laughs) But that's our old life. We've been set free. My old grave clothes, that's what we used to wear, right? And maybe it wasn't that, but it was something else for you. Maybe it was some kind of 
relationship thing, or maybe it was greed. Maybe you were just an angry person, but you put that off and you've now picked up the new life and you're now working to walk in that new life. And the Lord's enabling you to be a witness. And not only that, but you're now seated in the heavenlies with Christ. The picture of this is exactly what happened to Lazarus. Lazarus was stone cold dead. He was wearing old grave clothes. He's now been raised to life. The grave clothes are taken off. The new life has been put on. He's walking around with Jesus in new life. And he's going to sit down with Jesus at the banquet table. The exact same thing that happens to each one of you when you give your life to Christ. One day you're going to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? You're going to go to heaven where there is no more death. There is no more dying. Where there's no more suffering or sorrow or pain. One day you're going to step out of time and into eternity. And you are going to be that new creation that you are right now forever except completely perfect. No residue left. No little bandages hanging off your arms. No more kind of sort of mummy looking people. You see... I used to be like you were, the talking dead. Not the grateful dead, by the way. I was not very grateful about being. But the talking, you used to walk around, you just talked in deadness. That's where Caiaphas still is. He doesn't even realize he's a dead man. He thinks he's alive. I used to believe before I came to faith in Christ that I was actually alive. When in reality, I was, a, I was a talking dead man, and so were you. But what God was doing was working out his eternal plan in the, in the lives of these people. He's speaking to them. He's, he's saying, look, come out. Caiaphas hears this. He could have come out. He could have said, okay, I, I hear it. I see it. I receive it. I believe it. But he chose to stay dead. And so as they're waiting for Passover to come, and obviously we're going to get to the crucifixion here very shortly. The triumphal entry is in chapter 12, our next chapter. Jesus will come back to Jerusalem for Passover. But there's some characteristics that are in view here that as we turn our attention to the communion table, I want you to begin to think about them. So the communion team is going to come, and they're going to begin to pass out the elements. You'll receive the bread first, followed by the cup. And as you do, if you would please hold on to both elements and we'll partake together uh, once we've thanked the Lord for those marvelous gifts and what they represent. But I want to share three things with you. And, And they come from this conversion from you formerly being dead, a mummy, into who you are in Christ, a new creation in Christ. There are three things that we can draw from the Two other people plus Lazarus that are found in the New Testament who were actually raised from the dead. There's three of them. The first one was this poor woman who had previously just lost her husband that we find in Luke chapter 7 who now has also lost her son. And Jesus comes into that picture. And as Jesus raises that young son from the dead, brings him back to life, 
The first thing that happens in that young man's life is he begins to speak. He begins to speak about the things that God has done. He says to that young man, I say to you, arise. And he who was dead sat up and began to speak. You see, when the Lord saved you, he saved you for a purpose. He has a plan. And the first step in that plan is he wants you to speak about him. He wants you to tell people about him. You actually have been left here for that purpose. You've been raised to new life. Your sins have been forgiven. The body that was broken and the blood that was shed that paid the price for your sins has given you new life from your old life, which was actually death. You have been raised to that new life so that you can speak about Jesus. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you now have an opportunity to actually tell people, can you imagine this young boy? Dad's gone. Mom's standing there. It's like, I'm alive. What happened? Jesus raised me from the dead. That's your story. Jesus raised me from the dead. Yes, it was dead in my trespasses and sins, but I was nonetheless really dead. And he's made me alive. And so now my witness, my confession, if you will, is that Jesus raised me. The second thing in all this is the second person that we see Jesus raised from the dead. And this is a daughter of a nobleman. This is a ruler of the synagogue. This is a very religious man. And it follows in Luke chapter 8. And Jesus hears and he goes to this ruler's home. And he looks at this little girl, this precious little child. And he says to that girl, in, in the Greek language, he says to her two words. He says, Talita kume. Little girl, rise. And the moment that girl rises, Jesus says, now I want you to do something. I want you to give her something to eat. She needed a feast. Just like the world needs a feast on the word of God. You see, part of our communion service is that we have already tasted of the bread of life and we who have tasted of the bread of life are supposed to offer the bread of life to other people. We're supposed to actually speak forth the word of God now. We're supposed to give them nourishment. So the first child that's raised speaks forth in a witness. The second child speaks forth the word. As he's communing with the Lord, as he's speaking to his mom, as she's speaking to her mom, they're bearing witness that all I know is I used to be dead and now I'm alive. And let me tell you how it happened. This is your story. This is what's happened to you as a child of God. And it's interesting because they're in in Luke 7, It first says there's a great fear. In Luke 8, they commanded her to give her something to eat. Give her meat. Give her sustenance. Feed her. You see, the third step in all of this, we see in Lazarus. 
This passage we just finished. This incredible picture of Lazarus now raised up. And because we now have new life, we also have a new purpose. We are consecrated to something different, something new. When we use that word consecration, it becomes our focus, it becomes our aim, it becomes our goal, it becomes the way we walk. You see, as Lazarus was walking around, can you imagine all the questions he got? Aren't you the formerly dead guy? Uh Uh-huh. What happened? Jesus called me out from the dead. His word spoke in my life and I was made alive. You see, he was consecrated to that end. And because we have been made alive, we are supposed to also be consecrated to that end, speaking forth that which has happened to us, living lives that identify with Christ so that other people can see what's going on in your life and in my life and say, whatever that is, that's what I want. D.L. Moody said it really well. He said, in all ways, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. You know what that means? It means wherever you walk, that's an opportunity for people to actually see the Lord. Wherever you go, that's a place that Jesus goes. Because you are now a, officially someone who is previously dead, who is now alive because he has made you alive, according to Ephesians chapter 2. You are a former dead person who's alive, who's walking and talking. And you're supposed to be confessing Jesus, communing with Jesus, and being consecrated to Jesus. You see, in that sense, the beauty of the Lord's table is that Jesus provided us a way to do that by giving his life for us. He died so we can live That's why he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, even though one day you're going to take your last breath, you're going to die, you shall live. You're going to be alive. Alive in him. And so to bring it around to the cross, you see, Lazarus wasn't going anywhere if his feet were tied. He had to be loosed. He had to be set free. And he was. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't work for the Lord if his hands were bound. And so his hands were untied. He's free. How could he speak the name of Jesus if his lips were sealed so his lips were loosed? Jesus did that on Calvary's cross for you and for me. And I want to take you to the Last Supper for just a moment. You see, when Jesus was sitting at the Last Supper at that triclinium, that three-sided table that would have been the normal place that people held a, a supper during Roman times, the opening of that was always facing the door. There would be three basic legs to the table with an opening in the center. That center is the area that the servants would come and place food in front of all the guests. And immediately to the right side would be the guest of honor. 
And so in that picture, as Jesus is sitting with the disciples, do you remember what he said about who it was that would betray him? He said, the one that would betray him is the one who dips his bread with me. That was always done with the right hand. And so the only person that could be on the right hand, the place of honor, was Judas. Even in how they were seated at the Last Supper, Jesus was saying, Judas, you've got an opportunity here to receive and believe, to leave what you're thinking right now, to not do it, so much so that by the time we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus looks at Judas and says, Judas, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? He asked him a question. And Judas, of course, went on and and kissed him. And so when Jesus took the bread at the Last Supper, with Judas sitting next to him, he broke it. He said, take and eat, for this is my body, broken for all of you, Judas including you. And as often as you eat of it, you show forth my death until I come. Let's partake together of the bread. You see, Jesus offered eternal life to everyone. It wasn't just the 11. It was all 12. And anyone else who was in the room. And so after supper, he took the cup, the third cup, the cup of redemption. Followed by the cup of praise. And when he took the cup, he blessed it. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of sin. Not just the acknowledgement of sin, not just that we were dead, but that we were dead and he would pay the price to make us alive. He said this cup is a new covenant in my blood For the remission, the erasure, the removal, the sin's gone, the stain's gone. He won't even remember it anymore. He says, as often as you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. Pastor Alex is going to come back out. He'll lead us in a closing chorus. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed so that we could have new life, eternal life. Lord, that our sins could be forgiven the price for them paid, the debt erased. 
Nor did our old lives where we used to walk in darkness, we now walk in light. And you did this for us. And we receive it by grace and through faith. We thank you for your body being broken. We thank you for your blood that was shed. We thank you for the price that was paid for us on the cross so that we might be able to walk in that newness of life. We are grateful. Lord, on this Memorial Day weekend, we memorialize you, Jesus. The greatest gift that anyone can give you, Jesus, said, greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Lord, you laid down your life for us, and we thank you for it. Thank you for that eternal life that we now have because of what you did. We honor you, we bless you, and we praise you for the gift. In Jesus' name, amen.